So last class we spoke about how the, the, the trait, the characteristic of the Bainani is that they turn away from evil and do good. Meaning that even though their heart is still, if they feel attachment to klipa, to the negativity, to that which is ungodly, nonetheless, they act, they speak, and they think not based on their heart. And the way they do this is by being, going deeper, being more honest with themselves about how they do not want to be separate from Hashem, because deep down they know that they're a Jew and they love Hashem. And so by going deeper into themselves, acknowledging a true part of themselves, they set aside how they feel and act in the proper way. That, that trait, that characteristic, that way of dealing with our animal soul is the trait of the Baini, and that is attainable to each and every Jew at all times. That's what we've learned up until now, yes? Okay. Um, and so now I want to do is I want to go back and point out some important little details um, that we kind of brushed over. So if you go back, um, we're on page 60, beginning of chapter 14. There's a little bracket that says his task is only. I'm going to start from there. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Everyone has the place? Okay. We did. I said we're backtracking to go over some details that I brushed over to get through the main point. I'm very hurt. You weren't listening to me. (laughs) My sense of self-worth has been totally eroded by the fact that I realize that students don't hear every single word that I say. His task is only to turn away from evil and do good. Okay, so we stop there. What is turning away from evil and what is doing good? What is the difference between those two things? Now that's actually a verse. Sur turn from evil, asetayim, and do good. What is the difference? I want to talk about this point. This is an important point. Um, in general, chassidus, what is the difference between turning away from evil and doing good? They're both, again, things we, we behaviorally we do. So what is the difference between turning away from evil and doing good? After all, if I'm not doing evil, then isn't it good? If I'm doing good, then I've turned away from evil, so... Okay, so you, you're equating turning away from evil from abstaining from acting. Mm-hmm. And doing good means acting. So when I don't eat the cheeseburger, that's called turning away from evil. Mm-hmm. And when I do put on film, that's called doing good. Mm-hmm. So you're using the basically equivalent idea of, of prohibitions and obligations. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a, a, a valid way of reading the Tanya. However, it is not hold up to scrutiny. When one, one sees how this, this, uh, play, uh, this idea plays out in Tanya, other places in Chassidus, the difference between turning away from evil and doing good is something a little bit deeper. Um, and it's important to, to bring that out. And when we start by the following. What if I'm not in the mood to put on tefillin? Too bad. Too bad, right? I have to do it anyway, right? Why? So I don't put on tefillin. I miss the day of tefillin. So what? Who's making that choice to be an Ah, so by abstaining to do what I'm required to do, I'm doing evil, right? So we, there we have a situation where I'm actively doing something, but it could be just I'm turning away from evil. It's not that I'm doing good, I'm just not doing evil. I'm not 
disregarding my obligation to put on I'm not rebelling against Hashem. I'm not ignoring my responsibility. In other words, anytime we do something to fulfill what is required of us, we're, we, what we're doing is we're turning away from evil. Because to fail to meet the, what is expected, what is required, is evil. Um, it's, it's not just evil to um, physically assault a child, it is also evil to neglect a child, right? So even though one is an act of commission, right? And one is an act of omission, nonetheless they're both evil. So turning away from evil means not only not violating the rules about what is prohibited, but also meeting the basic expectations that are incumbent upon us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So in other words, turning away from evil is an attitude towards behavior. It's not the behavior itself. Putting on tefillin is not inherently turning away from evil or doing good. The question is, why am I putting on the tefillin? If I'm putting on tefillin because... By not putting on tefillin, what would I be doing? I would be doing a sin, right? I would be rebelling against Hashem. And in order to not rebel against Hashem, therefore I put on the tefillin, then that act of putting on the tefillin is called turning away from evil. Okay? There's an interesting little... I'm bringing this up because I just think it's, it's related. It's not so critical for the class. What is the halacha if a woman does not light Shabbos candles one week? Does anyone know what the halacha is? She has to light two, like an extra one? She has to light an extra candle the rest of her life. Remember that the all related to why some people did two candles? No, two candles, no. There's a, it's written in halacha that one should light two candles because of the associated, there's two, there, there's two word, commandments of Shabbos. Shammah, regard the Shabbos, and Zohar, remember the Shabbos. But some people do that and some people don't. It's a pretty universal Jewish custom to light two candles. Now, um, single women so, I mean this gets into like an interesting single girls do not have a custom of lighting two candles because that's like adding to the mitzvah and so that becomes an interesting question what happens if you have a single woman right so she's not married and she's living on her own should she light one candle should she light two candles like an interesting thing I think the honest thing just to be aware is that Kalacha doesn't think of that as a normal situation you know, Kalacha thinks the normal situation is that either you're living in your parents' home or you're a married person, right? That's how halacha thinks of how people should live. So it's a kind of a novel phenomenon. Although the truth of the matter is, um, you know, in the yeshiva, like the bachram and the yeshiva, they have, someone has to light Shabbos candles because Shabbos candles are not dependent upon being man or woman. It has to be lit. Um, so there's one bachram light Shabbos candles for the whole yeshiva and guess how many candles he lights? One. Two. Mm-hmm. So there's an argument that if a single woman is living on her own, she should light two candles. There's an argument she shouldn't. Interesting kind of a discussion. But as like a general universal custom, I don't know of any Jewish community, and there could be, I'm not, I'm not an expert in everything, but I've never heard of a Jewish community where the woman of the house lights one candle for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. I've always heard two being the, the minimum and the base. But there's an idea of adding extra candle. Okay, so now, when does one have to light that extra candle? Under what situ- I mean, the rest of her life, she has to light that, but, but oh. under what situations if she missed? What kind of an accident? She didn't neglect. Right. There's some element of neglect. Now, different halakh authorities. What if she forgot? Well, I mean, forgetting is a kind of neglect, right? If it was important, you wouldn't forget, right? You know, if 
she was in the hospital, that doesn't count, right? She was in the hospital, or she was in a coma. A woman who never knew about Shabbos, right? So, so I'm using this just as a related thing. In other words, there's an idea that like the lack of lighting the candle can be considered an act of evil, right? An act of neglect, right? An act of irresponsibility towards the mitzvah. And as a um, reminder, never to let that happen again. What was enacted is that now she has to light an extra candle. Forever. Right. So that's just an illustration of the same idea, is that not doing something can be evil, just as much as doing something wrong is evil. Okay, so then what would be doing good? What would be asetev, doing good? I'm doing good, what does that mean? Okay, so what would it look like to light Shabbos candles when you're doing good? Okay. Now, here it says, though, that the person is going to get themselves to do opposite of what they feel, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't feel, so like this. So I want to give you like two possibilities. Possibility number one is, I don't feel like lighting Shabbos candles. I don't feel like putting on tefillin, right? Now, if I give in to that feeling, I'm going to be doing evil. So what? So I go deep and I realize that deep down, I don't want to be separated from Hashem and blah, blah, blah. And therefore, I'm going to what? I'm going to put on tefillin or light the Shabbos candles, right? So I, I, I've, done, I've done the doing, I've done the, the service of the Baini. I've acted as a Baini with regard to turning away from evil. How would I then do that with regard to doing good? Can you do something because you know you should, you know it's important, and still the way you approach it is you're doing the minimum requirement? You're doing it with, 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 with a sense of, of just, you know, Checking, you know, crossing, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, checking the boxes, right? You could do it that way. Or you could really put yourself into it, right? Invest yourself into it. So I could go a step further and say, not only am I getting put on that fill in, I'm going to what? I'm going to be very mindful of what fill in presents. I'm going to be attentive to the fill in, right? I'm going to be extra, I'm going to, I'm going to, right? Same with the Shabbos can, right? I'm going to make sure to light at the ideal time. I'll make sure that I, I utilize that opportunity to die. I'm going to really make this as good as it can be. Right? Now I'm moving not just to, away from evil, I'm actually moving towards doing good. Is that difference clear? And that's also part of the, uh, the service of the baby. There's also trade of the baby. Trade of the baby is, I wasn't in the mood to light Shabbos candles. I maybe was in the mood to light Shabbos candles just to get it done and over with, right? A lot of mitzvahs, like, we're okay doing, we just don't want to, like, be too invested in them. Think of an example. Most brachas that most religious Jews make, are they doing good or turning away from evil? They're turning away from evil. But they're going to eat without making a bracha? They're not going to eat without the bracha, right? So you make the bracha, right? But they're not really saying, wait a minute, a bracha is an important thing. Let me invest everything I can mentally into this bracha. Make sure I do it in the ideal way, right? That's not what's happening. Okay? So the emotional 
disconnect the, uh, the, the non-Sadiq feels towards serving Hashem, towards close to Hashem, that comes from their attachment to Klippa, can manifest in an unwillingness to even meet their basic expectations of Judaism, evil, or a willingness to just do the bare minimum. In, in, in the confessional prayers, Vidui, we confess the different sins that we did. Um, so, um, so the first one is, Asham knew we're guilty, Bagad knew we rebelled, it goes on and on. So one of them is Hevinu. Hevinu literally means we, we distorted, we turned, we, 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 we strayed. From the word Ivut, which means to distort, to, to, to stray, to be corrupt. But there's a, a joke amongst Hasidim in modern Hebrew which is because in, in modern Hebrew, the, they, they don't call a check, like a check mark, a check, they call it a V. So that, so the they say, what is Hevinu? Our whole Judaism is about just checking things off. Hevinu, I did the mitzvah, but how did I do it? I got in the morning, they said morning, check. Said brachas, check. Put on film, check. I learned chitas, check. I did everything. What do you want, Ray? I did everything I want. But the whole thing was just not doing what's wrong. Not neglecting my responsibilities. Everything was a V. And that itself is, in some sense, wrong. In some sense, sinful. And so there's this added thing. It's not enough to just turn away from evil. There's also the idea of doing good, being proactive. Does that make sense? Okay. Which is different than the superficial thing of, you know, inaction and action. Okay. There, there's a, there's a, a, a letter of the Rebbe where the Rebbe, um, someone asks about an expression in the previous Rebbe's discourse in the Mimer about two different ways of dealing with, with inappropriate feelings, inappropriate emotions. In other words, someone is a bait right? You don't feel the way, uh, a, you don't feel about things in a godly way, right? And he gives two expressions. I don't know what the expressions are, but the Rebbe, like, the Rebbe in his letter, the Rebbe spells it out. Um, and it's one of the places where you have a very nice description of what this actually looks like in real life. Um, so the Rebbe says, imagine you have a person who has a business. And someone opens up the same kind of business right across the street. So how does he feel now? You, open a, you own a pizza shop, kosher pizza shop, and someone opens up a kosher pizza shop right out across the street from you. How do you feel? None of those feelings are manifesting your godly soul, are they, right? No. But because the person is a baini, they say, wait a minute. At the end of the day, who really controls my livelihood? Who really controls? Hashem. So therefore, can this person really threaten my livelihood? No. And so what do they do? They, no. The says it doesn't happen. No, nope. they don't. They don't do anything to destroy the guy's business. <laughs> he gets into like, like they don't like. They don't. They don't try to like do anything to destroy his business. But but in Shul, they're still willing to like totally badmouth this person. What do you think he is? But they think a little bit more. Really, this person can't threaten my livelihood. So they even able to control their mouth and keep their mouth shut and not say anything not nice about this person. But in, their, but in their mind, right? What are they thinking? They're still thinking, well, what a jerk this guy is. And they have to think a little bit deeper. Well, really, it's true. Hashem is the one who controls how much pronounced. I mean, this person is not a threat to me. And then they stop thinking about it. But they still have that resentment, right? And they think a little bit deeper to the point they can even let go of the feeling of resentment. So they're no longer 
feeling. They're no longer, they're not acting on it. They're not speaking based on it. They're not thinking in it. And they're not even allowing themselves to have any attachment to it. They let it go, right? And then there says, that's very nice. But it goes a step further. Everything is really by divine providence. Everything's really by Shkocha Pratis. This person can't threaten my, my livelihood, right? So why did they open up a pizza shop right across from my pizza shop? I've been in the pizza business for 20 years. This person just opened up the business. Who has more experience? Who has more knowledge? I have an opportunity now to provide guidance and assistance and help. And so what do they do? They go and act. They actively switch around and act in a way that's and invest themselves in a behavior that's contrary to their initial feeling. So how many stages do the person go through? Number one is they have the, the sense of what's, of what's true enough that they can control their behavior, that they don't do anything based on what they feel. Then you go a little bit deeper and they don't speak. Right? Then they get to the stop thinking about it. And then they go even deeper and they're able to what? Their feelings. Let it go. And then what's beyond letting it go? What's the step after that? Not just to not act, not just to not have the negative feeling, but to actually proactively move in the opposite direction. Is, is, that, is that what a Bainini does? So let's read it inside. Turn away from evil and do good. In actual practice, notice the order. Indeed. What does it mean indeed? That the first thing that Baini is successful in controlling is his? In speech, in thought, wherein the choice and ability and freedom are given to every man that he may act, speak, and even think what is contrary to the desire of his heart and even diametrically opposed to it. For even, even when the heart craves and desires material pleasure, whether permitted or God prohibited, we're going to go back. He can steal himself and divert his intention from it altogether. Right? So the person is what? They're controlling their, their actions, their speech, and their thought, and even says they can divert their intention from altogether and then act opposite to that. Okay? If all you're doing is just not doing the wrong thing, are you really acting as a vain enemy? No, it's not enough to not do the wrong thing. You have to actually move towards the right thing. Now, obviously we can adjust that. Right? It's a way of approaching things, right? It's not, it's not that, you know, a person is not a machine, right? And there are points out there in that letter that the reflection is willingness to recognize that Hashem is the one who controls my livelihood and that this situation is coming from Hashem. They need to deepen their reflection on that to move from one stage to the next, right? In other words, what gets them to control their behavior, they're not going to go and like start a, start a you know, turf war with a person, is a lot less than to not speak ill of the person, which is a lot less than what's needed to not think about it, which is a lot less to let it, than to just really let it go, which is a lot less than to actually raise this is an opportunity to do a chesed, to do a kindness to another Jew. But what it all has in common is that they're going deeper into something they know to be true in order to, instead of have their emotions control their behavior, their behavior reflecting some deeper truth that they know, even to the exact opposite. And really, it involves even not suppressing emotion, but again, there's that diverting yourself completely from it, letting go of it. There's a Hasidic discourse where it points out that the key struggle for the Bainani is the letting go part. I'll explain to you what I mean. In real life, 
there are many times where we feel certain ways and we stop ourselves from acting on our feelings, yes? That's a common occurrence. We also stop ourselves from saying things that we know will get us into trouble that just, right? you know, so to speak, the biting your tongue kind of thing, right? And there's also things that we know that we shouldn't think about and we can put them out of our mind, right? Because we shouldn't do But even when we stop thinking about it, we're still kind of holding on to it. And you can feel that, that like... Okay, so for instance, I'll use, a, I'll use an example, not in the video. So Sham, just in a real life example. Let's say a person is worried about something, right? And let's say they understand that there's really no reason to be worried, right? So to not act on your worriedness, not keep talking about it, not even to, to let yourself think about it, those are things that I think, you know, a person can reasonably, it's relatively obvious we can do that, right? But the not think about the being worried is a constant, don't think about it, don't think about it, keep distracting myself because I'm still holding on to the worriedness, right? To have that maturity, right, to let go of that, that's like the linchpin. And once you've let go of it, to act in the opposite way is very easy, right? I mean, the, the difficulty in going to help that other person out of their pizza shop is because I feel resentment towards them, right? If I can let go of the feelings of resentment, is it hard to go help the person? Right? So the real kind of um, cornerstone part of the, of the, of, of the, the work that the Bainini does, the trade of the Bainini in dealing with things, is not just the having that maturity, that clarity, that presence, that honesty with themselves to control their actions or more than that, their speech, or more than that, their thoughts, but to the point where they can let go of the way they feel about something because they're in touch with something deeper. And once they can do that, obviously you're now free to act in a totally contrary manner, in a manner that's really investing in what's good and what's proper. So, in other words, the, 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 the the, the banity is not someone who's controlling which feelings come up, which feelings they feel, and what and how and how enthusiastic and passionate they are, but the how they feel about something in the negative sense has no power to influence how them how they live their life because they have a way of dealing with it, they have a way of of of, of addressing it. I was speaking to a bachur um, today, and he has whatever he has an issue. It doesn't matter what the issue is. And he's telling him that he, he, needs, he needs help. Beyond just like what a rabbi in Shiva can help him. He needs some help. So I said, look, there's people I can recommend. I can't guarantee that anybody can help. Like, you know, but like they've helped people with similar issues in the past. So I recommend a few. And, and so he says, do you think that, that I'll be able, I'll, I will be, you know, get to a point where I'm past this problem? And I said, no. <laughs> I don't think you'll get to a point where you're past this problem. And it's generally not what happens. But I do think that you'll get to a place where you'll be able to deal with the problem in a healthy and effective manner. And that's what we're describing here, is that the Bainini has a problem. What's his problem? Is that his animal soul is not subject to his godly soul, and therefore he feels things that a Jew really shouldn't feel. And despite that problem, does that problem hold him back in his service of Hashem in any way? No. So then why is letting go part of his... Because can you really do good? Can you really invest yourself in what's right when you're still holding on to the emotions? Well, Think. we said he can't, he can't control the... He can't... Like, the emotional part is not his... Okay, so, I'm telling you, I'm not saying he has no 
there's nothing to do with emotion. What I'm trying to say does have everything to do with emotion. He's able to deal with the fact that he doesn't have emotions that a Jew ought to have. A Jew being a godly being shouldn't have emotions that are ungodly, and he does. Right? Does that control his behavior? No. Does it control his speech? No. Does it control his thought? No. Does that emotion even necessarily have the ability to control his mood? No. He can what? Let go. Let go. If he's angry, he can calm down. If he's full of lust, he can cool off. If he's full of spite, he can, he can be accepting. He can make that shift. He can let go of the ungodly emotion. He can, as it says, the Hebrews, move his mind away from it completely. The translator here puts it, divert his attention from it altogether. It doesn't change his fundamental, the animal soul has not become fundamentally fixed. The problem with the animal soul is not subjugated, it's still there. And when, think about it, can I really help somebody that I feel resentment towards? Really? Can I truly be there for them? I can, I can go through the motions superficially. I can't really be there for them, right? So if I resent the fact that I have to say, you know, spend 45 minutes diving chakras every day, I can still get myself to do it, right? But I can't really do it in a manner of doing good. I can maybe do it in a manner of not doing evil. You see what I'm saying? That shift to really, it's not just I'm not doing evil, I'm doing good, really requires a person, like, like they can let go of that. And by the way, that's a thing people can do. Okay? Um, I was speaking to somebody. This is an extreme example, but I'll use it. But, 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 it's, but it's important to understand that, that it's a natural human capacity, right? It's not, not some special gift from, like, you know, a miracle a gift from Hashem or something. I mean, everything's a gift from Hashem. It's a natural thing that Hashem created us with. Um, so I was speaking to someone. So he, when he moved to Israel, he was drafted into the Israeli army. Back in the day, they used to draft all the men that came to Israel who were like under the age of like 50. <laughs> so he moved to Israel, he went to the army. But the older guys, the army was like a very like, it was just enough training so that they, were, they, 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 they could do reserve duty. It wasn't like a, a serious army. But the guys who were training them had been in the army and they had to go through like the real army service. And so the guy who was training them told them about what his boot camp was like. Um, and so he asked him, like, did you, what, did, what did you get from boot camp? He said, so the, the end of boot camp was they had to do a hike, a march, not a hike, a march, 60 kilometers, I think, full gear, with carrying all the heaviest guys on stretchers. So something like a real warrior might have to do, right? I would want to be the heaviest guy. What? <laughs> what? I would want to be the heaviest guy. Right. <laughs> And he said, like, there's a certain point, like, you just, at a certain point, you just feel like you want to die. Because, like, you're just, your body's like, I, this is too painful, I just want to die. Just like, I don't care, just let me die. And then what happens? You keep going and you realize you can do anything. You realize no matter how you feel, you can let that go and just keep doing whatever is important to you. And then they again, did that ever like actually, did you need to know this? Says, yeah, we were in the war in Lebanon and we were like in actual Lebanon and we were basically surrounded being shot at and we had our, I don't know what is platoon, you know, 60, 70 guys, I don't know how many people it was, we were surrounded and for 48 hours we were being fired upon and so like we had to be alert and deal with being shot at for 48 hours. 
Like you could go like take like a 10 minute snooze while someone's watching, but you couldn't go off and go to sleep. And you couldn't, there was no off time. And like, but we all knew we can do this. Even though we felt like we couldn't, but we could just, we knew we could let go of that. And like, so that's, that's that in that extreme sense. But, but this sense, a human being, and this is very important, the author thinks this is a, 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 a the, the nature, human beings can speak, human beings can visually process, human beings um, can do mathematics, human beings have certain capacities, human beings have the capacity to, when they get in touch with what is more deeper, true and important, they cannot just act contrary to their feeling, they can divert themselves from whatever they were feeling completely and be free of that. So now if you take that and you put it in the context of I have a godly soul, which is the next part we're going to read, well then you can not just not give in to your animal soul, but actually throw yourself into the service of Hashem wholeheartedly, even though your animal soul is not on board. That's the not just turning away from evil, that's the doing good. Now, is this by any means easy? No. No, no one said it was easy. Is this attainable? Does this require any special skills that one needs to master before they start? Just a lot of effort. No. And the rule with the effort is, is that the more you do it, the more consistent you are about it, and the more you tell yourself that it is a reasonable thing to do, what happens? Okay. Make sense? Okay. Okay, now... Um, That you could be a bainy without actually being a bainy, though. Well, that's what I want you to think of, is that a thing of a bainy is a mode of living rather than a definition of a person. Now, if that mode of living has become so ingrained into you that it's like your default, that I guess you're a bainy in like a deeper sense, right? So you are a bainy. But it's not something you, in other words, it's not something that you achieve it's it, 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 it's something that you it, it's a it's a way of a way of approaching things that a person can internalize so deeply like their that has become their whole way of being but even if you haven't internalized that deeply and sometimes you still are abandoning which is one of the reasons why i think that it's important to kind of have this this kind of split thing about realizing on the one hand being a baby is entirely attainable for everybody short of young children and people with serious mental illness and on the other hand, being a baini in like a real deep sense is something that is like a lofty thing that very few people ever get close to really becoming. And those are not contradictory statements. It's just looking at it from different ways. I mean, if you want to think about it, and we spoke about before, other characters of being wise, being honest, right? To be wise or be honest in the way we approach life is something that any of us can do. But to have that really become who we are in the deepest sense, that's, you know... And that's why you'll sometimes think here, sometimes, being a bainini, it's a thing for everybody. <laughs> it's like, like, like very few people are ever bainini. And it, those are not contradictory things. I think what sometimes happens is because of our tendency to think of things as a um, status and achievement and attainment, what we tend to do is we tend to distort what's going on there. We tend to think of it as, okay, like I have to achieve this level and, and that's, a, that's a very unchasidic way of thinking about what we're trying to, to learn about. But isn't chasidic about like the, like, like the inside, like what, what's, really, like what's really happening? Like it sounds funny that you could be called something that like you're only acting like it. Yeah, but, but the acting is involving your inside. How do you act like a vanity? 
How do you act? What's what we do? How do you act like a bandit? It, it takes your you have to go. You have to get in touch with your insides. Now you're getting in touch with your insides in a different way, not in the way that like you're just like. A, it's not like it's not like you're just this this the, 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 the beautiful godliness of your godly soul just radiating through. That's not what's happening, right? It's a different kind. Of, but that's what we're about to read. You have to be in touch and be honest about the deepest, most important parts of yourself in order to not just act in a certain way or speak in a certain way or think in a certain way, but to let go of what you were feeling up till now and throw yourself into what's really important to you. That's very much going deeper into yourself. You see what I'm saying? Now, then with that itself, is that something I have to like constantly get myself to do or is that become, you know, and I internalize that so deeply I have a recognition of who I am or who Hashem is so deep that that becomes my, my modus operandi, that becomes my way of being just because that's who I am. I'm okay, that, that's, that's, that's something very, you know, you know, rare. That's why the book can be relevant to, you know, to everybody on the one and everybody can be a Bainani. Anything in the book we can all do. On the other hand, to, to be it in the fullest sense is a lifetime Good. Because there are other titles, like, like let's say a tzaddik. If you act like a tzaddik, doesn't make you a tzaddik. Well, maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see the end of chapter fourteen. Right. After all, we were given two two missions when we, our souls came into this world. One was to not be a rasha, which could be fulfilled by merely being a bainy, and the other was to. Be a tzaddik, so maybe we have to try and be a tzaddik also. Maybe we can. I guess. It just sounds fun. I don't know. It sounds funny is not a question I can answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I asked it and this isn't. Alright. So how did the person end? Um so again, the translation said by declaring to himself, but, but I think the Hebrew here is a lot richer where he says, So I want to, so first off, the lave, we mentioned this earlier, but I want to just go reinforce it. The lave of a person is the part where the person feels. The heart of the person where we feel, the mind is where we perceive things. Okay? So, for instance, there's a pasuk that says, You shall know today, should place to your heart, right? The idea is that merely knowing is not the same thing as having it resonate emotionally. Okay. Now, I, I want to clarify this thing about, about emotion. Emotion has many, many layers and levels to them. I mean, the most extreme things where a person is highly emotional. Right? So just imagine somebody being highly emotional. Right? They're crying, they're screaming, they're laughing. Right? They're, they're, they're excited. Right? Um, but there's, there's emotion. But, but something can be emotional without being high, without having those kinds of characteristics. For instance, if you think about, um, like we say, for instance, the, the, the importance that, say, children have to their parents or, uh, uh, or, or values, the way the values that a person holds to be dear, or if a person even has their own business, right? The, these things resonate with the person emotionally. It doesn't mean the person is in a highly emotional state. You understand the difference? Okay? And there's a difference when you're trying to address somebody and speak to their emotions or to their mind. Okay? So for instance, in a Febrengan, what is the purpose of a Febrengan? Who are we trying to address in a Febrengan? What? 
the heart. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to like, make the person feel like very emotionally excited and expired. It means that we're saying should, should be heard on that level of the person. Right? So this can happen sometimes in a program, right? Someone's, someone expresses like, how something is difficult for them. In the service of a chef, a certain issue, whatever, it's difficult. It's difficult for them to relate to it, it's difficult for them to do something, whatever it is, okay? And someone in the Fabregan goes on to explain what their mistake is and how they're approaching it. And if you have to understand, if you knew this idea, if you knew this idea, explain how it all worked. And that just like doesn't land. Why doesn't it land? The problem is the person didn't understand. The problem is it doesn't make sense. The person, that, that wasn't the issue. The issue is that despite the fact that it all makes sense in some sort of ideal reality, which I can perceive with my mind, it, it just seems unrelatable to me, right? And you haven't addressed that by making it make more sense. Good? Well, that's the same thing with a person. If you feel the strong desire to sin, yeah. And you start having a conversation in your head explaining to yourself why sinning is wrong. What is going to happen? You'll finish sinning before you finished explaining why sinning is wrong. That's what will happen. Okay? The part of you that the part of you that's driven to sin is not driven to sin because it is misinformed. Oh, I really? I thought that I could live a deep, meaningful life and connect to eternal truth by indulging in this hedonistic behavior forbidden by God. I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. Like that's just not. That's not what's going on there, right? So, arguing with oneself as to why something is wrong, why something is evil, why something is doesn't make sense, does not address the issue that I feel differently about it. It just doesn't. So the author says the speaking has to be done to one's heart, not to one's mind. Okay? The other thing is that um, in, in Hebrew, there's, 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 there's two different verbs for speaking. There's more, but the, the, our sages make a big deal about two different words. One is, to, one is um, lemor, emor, amira, which means to say, and the other is daber, dibor, daber, which means to speak. What's the difference between ledaber, leymor, daber, emor? What's the difference in these two expressions? Last week's Parsha, by the way, if anyone was paying attention. Anyone's chassidus about the Parsha? What is, in, when the word emor or in its conjugations are used, what does that connote in terms of speaking? Okay. What? Emor. Gently? Yeah. It means gently, it means softly. Oh. Whereas the word dibur, or daber, connotes a directness and a harshness. Right. Um, when you are trying to tell somebody the, the facts of the matter, this is the way it is, right? The mitzvahs in the Torah generally, when we talk about mitzvahs in the Torah, the word, the word that's used is daber, right? Daber, right? This is the way it is, right? Person says, you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and this is the fact, right? When you educate somebody, though, you have to speak in a different way, right? Because the idea is not just that you are, you are making clear this is the reality. What you're trying to do is to help them appreciate that, right? Connect to it, right? So in the context of educating, he uses the word emor, 
So in a similar thing, you see a similar thing here. It says that if a person is going to do this, they have to speak to their heart. What does it mean to speak to the heart? You have to, you have to speak to yourself in a way that's emotionally resonant and not impose on yourself. You have to, in other words, have a kind of internal dialogue, if you will, an internal monologue in such a way that, that you're being... You're, you're, speak, you're, you're addressing yourself in a way that makes it that you can hear yourself. You can resonate with yourself. One time I was at a Febring and I made a joke. I said, I'm always talking to myself. The problem is that I don't let myself finish any of my own sentences. Always interrupting myself, right? You can speak to yourself in a way that you're not even open to what you're saying to yourself, right? You can speak to yourself in a way that you're, you're bullying yourself, right? Or you can speak to yourself in a way, and now it can be stronger, it can be different, each person's a little bit, in a way that you can actually hear what you're saying, hear it in a, in a way that's emotionally resonant. And, and it's very interesting, those two words, by Libra, he's conveying that method of addressing yourself. Now, obviously, we mentioned this before, if a person is just running on instinct and autopilot, can you do this? No, and that's part of a general thing about being a human being, is a human being has this self-reflexive ability to look at themselves like, like what am I doing? Do I really want to be doing this, right? So you have to have that kind of stopping and pausing as you move through life in order to really do this. But frame better, you have to do that if you want to live as a human being in general, right? You know, I don't mean literally every single moment of your life. You have to stop and reflect on everything, right? You, there's a notion of building good habits and good routines as well, right? But in general, you know, one should, in, in, you know, cultivate within themselves a, a, a habit of having some sort of like, what am I doing? What's important to me and how they live their life? And in that, you can put this kind of a I'm really Libra into it. Okay. So what does the person tell themselves? Um, I don't like the translation. I have to be very honest with you. In Hebrew, it says... I do not want to be a wicked person. In the translation, what does it say? I will not be. Yeah. I think something is missing there. Yeah. I don't want it. I don't want to be wicked. Even for one moment. Because I will not be parted and separated and have a from Hashem under any circumstances. Okay, in other words, I don't want to be wicked. Right? I don't want to do the wrong thing. Why don't I want to do the wrong thing? Because what does it mean to do the wrong thing? It means to be separate from? Hashem. Because iniquity is interposed between you and Hashem. Instead, my real desire is to unite my nefesh, ruch, and Hashem. These are three levels of the soul, which we're not going to elaborate on right now. With him, with Hashem. So there's both the what I don't want and there's what I do want. I don't want to be separate from Hashem even for a moment. And transgressing and doing what's wrong separates me. I rather what do I want, what is my deepest desire, to be connected. How am I connected to him? Through investing my soul in his three garments, meaning the action, speech, and thought dedicated to Torah. So here you send to Hashem, his Torah, and his commandments. Now, what, you, what, you, what you'll notice here is you see both elements of the turning away from evil and doing good, right? I do not have any tolerance for being separate from Hashem, and I do genuinely desire to be close to him. Okay, where does this intolerance for separation, desire to close, come from? After all, remember, is the person feeling this at the time they're telling themselves this? Are they, they having this feeling of deep fear of being separate from Hashem and deep longing to be close to Hashem? No, if they were feeling that, 
then they wouldn't have to be doing what a Bainini does, right? They're feeling the opposite. So they're telling themselves that the way I feel is not really what I want. Um, have you ever, ever had the experience um, where you desire to eat something and you tell yourself, I don't really want this? Okay, now, if you were to tell yourself that in a way that's that you're really speaking to yourself in a way you could hear, right? Well, first off, you couldn't lie to yourself, right? So you have to really not want it. And the question is, well, why don't you want it? After all, on some, you could, on some level you want it because on some level you want to eat it now, right? So what do you mean you don't want it? So you're not wanting it is really has to do with anything to do with it? What is it you really want? To be healthy. You really want to be healthy? What? Or you don't want to get a stomach ache. You might feel good. It might not even be like a general principle about the way you live your life. Right, but that would have. I would. I would. I would say I don't want to use that as an example because then the, the, the two things are too are too equivalent, and then it's just a matter of degree. So, for instance, I know that certain foods mm-hmm. will give me heartburn, but I enjoy eating the food more than the heartburn bothers me, <laughs> so I'm willing to eat it. Right. So that's just a matter of like weighing the things. Isn't that what this is? No, 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 to not be separated from Hashem? No, no, like not no, being no, it's not going to be like that. I want something, no, that, that's why I don't, because there you can decrease one and increase the other because they're, they're competing on the same space of your psyche, right? The part of me that enjoys the lasagna is the same part of me that doesn't like the heartburn. Okay. So the question is just which sensation is more intense mm-hmm. and am I willing to pay the price, right? That's not really it, okay? I don't want to eat this because why? Why don't I want to eat it? It's not, I mean, there's some negative consequence. Okay, but what then... What is it that I really do want? Not the, not the, the, the heart. Okay. okay, but being healthy. But being healthy is not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to not let you use being healthy. The reason I'm not going to use being healthy is certain, certain words we use as a, as a cover. We don't either intellectually or emotionally relate to what we really mean by them. And that's, healthy is an example of that. Tell me what you want. What will being healthy achieve? So you're healthy, now what? What? To live longer? Like, you're feel better. It doesn't seem like food is deep enough to have this deep conversation with yourself. Oh, it's I'm saying like, on, just there are some foods that you need to educate yourself. Like, you don't need to do... No, like, take the healthy thing, but just, just don't hide behind the word healthy. I don't want my physical health to come in the way of anything that I want to do. Okay, that's something, right? I want to be able to have energy for my children. I want to wake up in the morning looking forward to the day. I want to, I don't, I want to live this meaning, and I don't want my body to get in the way of that. Okay, that, now that's something that you can be very honest with yourself about, right? One piece of cake isn't gonna... And you know what? And you know what? And that's... One second, one second, one second, one second, one second, one second, one second. No, this is exactly the point. One piece of cake will not do a problem with that, which is why if a person is in touch with this, they can eat one piece of cake and stop at one piece of cake. That's the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. So, because what they realize now is that it's not about the cake, it's about how the cake destroys my ability to function, to, to live the life I want to live. Okay, well then, as long as the cake's not doing that, I have a problem with the cake. So that's, a, so that's a person that can eat one piece of cake for dessert on Shabbos and <laughs> leave it alone, right? Right, it's just, right. 
Do you see what I'm saying? But if the cake has now, now. stuff tied to it, then like... Now. So, cause we're, 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 if you're allergic to something in it, then one piece of cake is actually... Okay, but that's another question. No, but, 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 but because, because remember, one of the things that we said about a, about a Bainini is that even indulging in things which are permitted, and we, I, I went through this before, but I'm bringing it back up here, even when the heart craves a desire, material pleasure, whether permitted or godly, or prohibited, the issue is the the issue is the involvement in an ungodly thing, right now. So I want it like so so so. What do you say? So, I don't really want to eat the cake. What do you mean I don't really want to eat the cake? I don't really want to eat the cake because I want to be healthy. I don't really. What do I really? I want to be able to live life without my body getting in my way, right? That's the analogy we're using. Okay, well then, is one piece of cake going to do anything to me? No. Okay, so what's the problem? There's no problem. Good. But is sitting and eating, is, is, is having three pieces of cake every day going to be a problem? Yes. Okay, good. So now, I, there's all sorts of stuff that the Torah permits and I feel desires for, right? That are not godly. Right? How do I approach that as a Bainani? I really don't want these to get in my way of serving God. Well, one tiny indulgence isn't going to get in the way of that, and I can keep it at that point. Okay, but, but here's the thing. You added a word with twisted everything. No, indulgence. Any indulgence will get in the way of Hashem. But does the act get in the way of Hashem? In other words, yeah. this is more mean? What does it mean to indulge? Indulge means to do something just to feed. Yeah, yeah, just to... Just, yeah, like, is eating a cookie going to get in the way of me and Hashem? No, somebody's eating a cookie is just like part of life and she was okay. One of my one of my favorite experiences that I had in life. It's a small subtle thing. So um Rabbi Shemtov's father in law. Um do you do you know Rabbi Shemtov is, yes? Mm-hmm. So Rabbi Shemtov's father in law is the main Mashpia, the main Hasidic teacher, mentor guide in the central yeshiva in Farhabad. He's one of these old time Hasidim and he he was born in Russia, he got out when there was a brief period where he could escape under false passports when he was a little child. And he, so he gives a, a Tanya Shir um, in Beitar, where I live, every Friday morning. And so usually, he usually has a cup of tea. So someone usually makes him a cup of tea. The guy usually makes him a cup of tea. One, one week wasn't there, so I went to go make him a cup of tea. So I figured to be polite, I'll ask him if he wants sugar in the tea, right? Just to be polite. I didn't think, you know, so we don't indulge, right? Chassid, don't indulge. And he's like, you know, he said half a spoonful of sugar. Now, you could be very cynical saying, look, even he, even he indulges. But he goes, wait a minute, like, what is, when you put half a spoonful of sugar in the tea, so what? So you drink it a little more smoothly, a little less, and, you know, you're like a little bit of a better mood. That's at the end of the world. Is that, is that such a bad thing? Is that necessarily going to send you away from Hashem? No. Now, maybe if you're some lofty spiritual person, that could be considered an indulgence. For a normal person, not an indulgence, right? But having the ability to kind of just be honest and not make a big deal about that comes from the fact that the person's, what do I really want? And so the issue is not the sugar. The issue is I don't want the sugar to get in the way of my close with Hashem. If a half a spoonful of sugar is not getting in the way close with my Hashem, there's no big deal. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, when it comes to permitted things, this way of approaching things gives the person that ability to, be, to moderate. 
Good. If what I really want is to be able to live, going back to the example just right, but I really want to be able to live life without my body holding me back. And that's what I'm in touch with. That's what I'm honest with myself about. That's what I speak to myself in an emotionally resonant way with. Then that gives me the, the maturity to, to have a piece of cake in moderation from time to time, right? Definitely better than obsessing over it. You see what I'm saying? Now, some things Hashem prohibits, which means even a single, the act itself will separate from Hashem. Okay. That's the between permitted things and forbidden things, right? So if it's not kosher, it's done deal. But if it's kosher, is this really going to separate from Hashem? Is not? And you know what? Different people in different situations. Most people having half a spoonful of sugar in their tea, right? Is that, is that, is, are they now like indulging into some sort of, they're now moving into some sort of hedonistic, Rejection of Hashem that way? No. It's a pretty normal thing to do. Right? On the other hand, going through the... I'm, I'm using food examples. On the other hand, you go to the... You, go, you, you know, you, you go to the wedding. I hear this one example from, from him also. You go, if you go to a wedding and they ask you like, which thing you want, right? You know, the waiter comes, do you want the schnitzel? Do you want the chicken? Yeah. So you, you say you want whatever in it. Yeah, and then the waiter comes and brings you the wrong ones. You ask for the schnitzel, and they bring you and they bring you the the regular chicken, right? Is it the end of the world to eat the regular chicken? But the person they have to go up and find the waiter. So what's that already for most people? That's just being hedonistic. Like, like there's a level where a person has to be cut. Now, for some people, maybe they have to like learn a sense of like being able to like be assertive in life and whatever, maybe that's important for them. But like you say, the average person, the chicken is perfectly edible, the schnitzel is perfectly edible. They asked you what you wanted, you said what you wanted, they didn't, they, they gave you the other one. <laughs> so, so move on in life, what's the big deal, right? In other words, there's this sense of, what I want is to be close to Hashem, I don't want to be separated from Him. So those things which the Torah prohibits separate me from Him by default, the act separates me. But, in permitted things, what separates me is my way I approach them, right? Okay. So making a big deal about it is, is going to separate from Hashem. You know? Dwelling so much on something which is not godly, that's what separates from Hashem. So don't dwell so much on it. They asked, they said, they did the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that I think has to be modified. Like I said, if a person like, has an ability of being assertive, right? And that's like, they, they're struggling with that, they need to work on that, so maybe that would be different, right? Whatever, right? Or maybe, you know, the sense of resentment that they got the wrong thing would just make them feel so victimized that it would ruin their day and like, they just have to, you know, just like realize, okay, I mean, adjust accordingly to what, to who you are in the situation you're in. But that's, that's what this does. It gives you, I would say, you know, 90, 95% clarity about where those lines are. Because you're not making it about the thing, you're making it about what is my, right? What do I really want? This love of Hashem that's hidden in my heart. I have this love of Hashem that's hidden in my heart, which we'll talk about soon. And therefore, I, what I really want is to be close to Him. What I really cannot be okay with, it, I'm not okay with deep down, is being separate from Him. And it's on that basis, I'm honest with myself about what it is I'm about to get involved in, or what it is that, or about how much effort I'm going to put into something, and how I'm going to let go of something. The only things that therefore would be black and white is when the Torah prohibits or obligates something. But most of life, where the Torah doesn't prohibit and obligate it, the permitted things, it's just the person has a kind of a sensibility, you know? And so they're never indulging, but they're never uptight. See what I'm saying? There's a famous story with the Chassid Shomonkis. Shomonkis um, was a character, to put it mildly. 
think I said the stories of Shemak as a while ago. So Shemak was one time at Febrangin. And the butcher donated some lungs to the Febrangin. So, I mean, I do not think the lungs are a delicacy. I'm a you know, spoiled American. I think just regular meat is all you should be eating. But back in the day, if it was edible, and it was part of the kosher part of the cow, you would eat it. And apparently the lungs are a delicacy. And so the, the, the butcher... Donated some lungs to the, to the Febregen. So he sent the lungs to where the Chassidim were, were having the Febregen. And the someone came with the lungs and Shemokas took the platter of this freshly cooked or smoked lung, whatever it was. And people started, they smelled and they started getting excited and they wanted it. They started reaching for it. So he started dancing around the table with the tray of the lungs. And everyone gets very, really, they, they get annoyed and put it down, let us, let us, and at some point he just, he, he, he dances around the table and he throws the whole tray out the window into um, the outhouse where the outhouse drains out to and at which point the chassidim are quite upset and let's just say um, the rural Eastern Europe chassidim were not exactly the most civilized in how they approached everything and they dealt with this in the common manner which was they took Shulmonkis and they, they told him um, you, uh, you need to be punished. <laughs> so he said, okay. And he jumped on the table, pulled down his pants so they could give him a patch. And um, then, then um, the butcher comes around and says, don't eat the lungs, don't eat the lungs. They're not kosher. I made a mistake. It was from a different cow. That cow was a chafer. Remember we spoke about how they are. It's not, we have some defect in it. The mistake in the wrong lungs, don't eat them. And this, all the chsimot tashwamokas. Ah, you have rechot kaidish, you have divine inspiration. Now you really deserve to be punished. Because what kind of, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of arrogant that the thing is this? Chasu going off and showing how spiritually sensitive he is. What kind of, it's not something, you know, that's just, that's just hubris, that's arrogant, child. And he says, no, 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 it wasn't rechot kaidish, it wasn't rechot kaidish. I just, the Alter Rebbe gave me a sense that when a person gets too enthusiastic about material pleasures, there's something unholy about it. Was he a sense like this kind of obsession is an indication there's something off. But where did that come from? That becomes because of like the Alter Rebbe convinced him how bad it is to eat food, or on the contrary, made him more sensitive what life is really about. You see, what I mean? There's people who are trying to grow closer to Hashem, and they get this enthusiastic about food. Something off about. And that's the kind of sensitivity that this approach like, builds in a person, each person on their level. Like you said, there's nothing wrong with one piece of cake. And you know there's nothing wrong with the one piece of cake. Because that, right, that doesn't make you unhealthy, right? And the person knows, you know, taking the kids to the park and having a popsicle is not going to turn them into some hedonistic person who rejects God, right? But they also know that thinking about which flavor, which flavor popsicle they're going to get for the 15-minute walk to the, to the store is not exactly helping them get closer to Hashem, is it? If anything, it's doing the opposite. And so they have that kind of sensitivity. What do you do for a kid who is really dwelling on what flavor popsicle? Like, how do you teach them that? So with children, the rule is you always want to get the child to expand their horizon of what they can appreciate. And then as that happens, then get them to reject the lower thing. Okay? So in other words, get them to appreciate like, a very simple level, right? You want it, like a very important thing about children is you want, this is so important. Get children to appreciate 
the weather is nice. Get children to appreciate the pleasantness of being around people in a good mood. Get a child to appreciate spending time with a person and hearing a story. And you know what starts to happen over time when the child starts to appreciate that? They're more receptive to the idea that a candy is just a candy and it's not the end. But you can't like... But that's how that works. So it's, the more the child... and the, 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 now For a child, you have to do it for them. Right? You have to, right? But, but a, a person should they do it themselves. What is really significant? And from that, I can now reevaluate what I was feeling. Right? So obviously, you don't go... You don't, and they can do this a lot, right? Like, if the parent is very... Exudes a lot of warmth in in spending time with a child just taking a walk or sitting and doing olive bays with them, right? And doesn't have that same kind of warmth in the candy and the popsicle, the child starts to pick up like how shallow one is and how, right? and slowly as the child ages, you they can start to talk about that. And... Make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to brag a little bit. One of my kids... Who, who was not the most, uh, not the easiest child. So he was in Shul, Shabbos Mavarchim, there's an idea of saying Tillim. So I say, you should say some Tillim. And then his younger siblings already are saying, like, Tillim. So reasonable expectation to say some Tillim. So I want to read the comic there's books. There's a lot of, we have like a big, in our show, we have a big library of like comic books for kids, Jewish comic books. So I want to read, read the comic books. So why don't you say 10 chapters of Tillam, which is like something like his younger siblings are doing already, and then read the comic book for 10 minutes. So, yeah, but fine, he's not fighting on it, so he does it. So then after 10 minutes, I go back to, you know, you say another, you know, another 10 chapters of Tillam. Read the comic books. And he starts getting this rhythm. In the end, he just decides that, you know, saying Tillam is an important thing. He knows how much his teacher's into it, how much I appreciate it. And so it's like, he feels good about doing it. So he starts, and he ends up saying the entire Tillam at Travis. Now, to be honest, did I think he said every word? Did he pronounce every word correctly? No. He had to do one of these. But he sat and page after page. He looked at every word. He made some passive emotion of like trying to pronounce each word. Which, you know, for the age he is, that's an amazing thing, right? So afterwards I told him, I said, I see you. I'm very, imp- I was very proud of you. It was very impressive. So you really, I want to show you, you know, I don't know the exact word I used, but I want to convey to you, like, 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 what do you want? Do you want something? And I asked him, I said, do you want something? Do you want, do you want something like a, a treat, or do you want like a book? Do you want something more temporary? Do you want something more lasting? I phrased it that way. Was something that tastes good, was a little more temporary. I'll get you a treat, or do you want something like a book that's more lasting? So he thought, and he said, you know, "I want a book." I said, "Okay, do you want like a comic book, a reading book, or do you want a, a holy book, or a safer cottage?" And again, thought about it. He said, "Yeah, I want a safer cottage." So. Where does that come from? That comes from broadening their experience, right? You can't just come and impose, this is the truth, right? And the role of parents and educators is to help shape the child's experience to do that, right? But what we're talking about is, 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 is you know, self-sufficient adult, right? Make sense? Okay. I still haven't gotten into the book because... We need a time when, when, I, when the store is open, he doesn't have to go to bed, and I'm home. So we haven't had that overlap yet, but we're going to try and arrange that. But, and, and, uh, you know, and each child has to be done on their level. And I'll tell you an extreme story with the previous server went on that. The previous server also had to be, everybody has to be educated, right? 
Nobody is born a fully formed being. And the previous Rebbe is obviously the previous Rebbe. So the previous Rebbe was a young child around seven years old. He was given a, a treat, like a Danish or something. And he went outside. It's the Shetan right? It's like, you know. Um, and there were some other kids there, his friends. So what did he do? Now, get, I mean, now he's getting Danish is a big deal, but the, the, getting a Danish was like an unusual thing. So he got the Danish, and he broke it into pieces and gave everyone a piece. And they all sat together and ate the Danish. Right? So afterwards, his father, the Rebbe Shab, calls him in, into his study and says, I saw that you shared with your friends. It was very nice. It was very good. But I also saw that at that moment, you would prefer that you didn't have friends. <laughs> And the previous Rebbe is, um, in his own words, is I gave back what I took. Meaning he felt so bad about his attitude that on some level he wished that he didn't have friends he could have had the whole Danish himself. He felt so bad about it, he vomited up the Danish. And his mother walked in the room and saw that he just vomited up the Danish and she looked at her husband and she says, what did you do to this boy? <laughs> and the Rebbe Rashab says, that's called education. Gosh. And the Rebbe, and but the thing is, the previous Rebbe told the story as an example of something that was very meaningful. And, okay, but now here's the thing: is right, my son and the previous Rebbe, they were both little kids, but it's not the same, right? In other words, the dynamic exists, right? That the cha- the parent has to make broaden their horizon, right? But you know, as as wonderful as I think my children are, they're not going to grow up to be the previous Rebbe, right? The previous Rebbe is made of different stuff, and so the education is a, is the is. is but a child is a child. A child has to have their experiences shaped by the parents and by their educators so that they're more broad and horizons. Yeah, and sharing is a wonderful thing. But if on some level you wish you didn't have to share, that's, you're, you're missing something. You're missing something of what life is all about. And you know, for the seven-year-old previous Rebbe, he should be made aware of it. And he was aware of it in such a deep way that it affected him. <laughs> okay. Make sense? Good? Alright, I'll see you tomorrow and we'll continue with this hidden love that we all have. That's the key to the ability.